Psalms 19 verse 12 tells us that God's word discerns our errors and cleanses us from hidden faults. And so if you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be continuing our study on Christianity 101 from the book of 1 Peter. As we go back to the basics as a faith family and consider together the topic of essential Christianity. Not exceptional Christianity, essential Christianity. What it looks like for us as believers in Jesus Christ to live as elect exiles in this world for the glory of God. And particularly, Peter has been showing us right now in this letter how to live as elect exiles in this world in such a way that our living has an attractive quality to it and underlines the gospel of Jesus Christ that we profess rather than undermine it. Peter gives us four ways that we can do this as followers of Jesus, given in chapter 2, verse 17, where he writes this, Be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. See, having a rebellious and a disagreeable spirit towards our authorities that God has put over us undermines the gospel. But, as we saw in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, showing proper subjection to our earthly authorities underlines the gospel and shows the lost, those who have not yet trusted in Jesus, that we believe that there is a perfect king who rules over even our imperfect earthly authorities. So, be subject. Another way we can undermine the gospel is by being disrespectful to the very people that we've been called to reach with the gospel. But as we saw in chapter 2, verses 17, on into chapter 3, verse 7, honoring everyone, even those who hate us, underlines the gospel and shows the lost that we believe there is a God who bestows honor and goodness even upon his enemies. So honor everyone. The third way that we as believers can undermine the gospel by our living is by arrogant, callous, and unloving behaviors towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. But as we've been seeing here in chapter 3, verses 8 on into verse 12, is that loving our brothers and sisters in Christ underlines the gospel and shows the lost that there is truly a divine Father in heaven who has sent His Son and loves His children with a real, true, steadfast, and transforming love. So love the brotherhood. So Peter's been showing us exactly what loving our brothers and sisters in Christ looks like, and it starts right from the heart. Peter says in verse 8, that we ought to have an attitude of love towards one another. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. In other words, we ought to pursue what we already possess in Jesus Christ, and we ought to have minds of humility towards one another, leading to unity, and we ought to have hearts of tenderness towards one another that leads to sympathy. To what degree? To the degree that when someone wrongs us or reviles us, the very reflex of our heart in that moment is one of blessing towards them rather than bitterness, right? That's the answer of loving one another that was given in verse 9 that we looked at last time. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, in opposition to that, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. If we want to underline the gospel with our lives, then when someone is evil against us or reviles us, we don't reply in kind. 
as followers of Jesus, we reply in blessing. We pray for them. We speak kindly to them. We do good to them. If we truly have an attitude of love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, then that means that when we are wronged, our hearts are aching rather than angry. Broken rather than bitter. We must have, that's what it means to have the heart of Christ. We must have a mind of humility, a heart of tenderness, and a mouth of blessing. When I was thinking about that, the prayer that just came out of my heart was, Oh God, help us. Help us to have that type of love. For if the world is going to see that we are Christ's disciples, then we must have an attitude and answer of loving one another. It must be the reflex of our heart in the body of Christ. And when we ask the Lord to work this change within us, there are two advantages that we will experience that Peter shows us here in verses 10 through 12 of this passage, which we'll look at today. We're going to see that the two advantages of loving one another is first, a happy life, and second, a heavenly communion. A happy life and a heavenly communion. Don't worry, I haven't turned into a prosperity gospel preacher. A happy life and a heavenly communion. These are the two advantages that come when we obey God and love one another. So with that in mind, please stand with me as we read our passage today of 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8 on into verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 8, starting, or 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us today. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but in contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may receive a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who who do evil. This is the word of God whose rules help our souls to live and to praise him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as sheep before our great shepherd. We come before you as beggars before the great king. We come before you as those who are needy, to you, who is the embodiment of fulfillment and satisfaction. And Father, we come as those who are often deceived and drawn away by various desires. We come before you, the living truth. And we pray that you would guide us by your Spirit through your word to understand the things that you have freely given to us. We present ourselves to you today that you would shape us 
and mold us and change us by the power of your word and your spirit that we might behold your glory and be changed from one degree of glory into another, into the very image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would bring conviction where conviction needs to be brought and encouragement where encouragement needs to be brought. And then I pray, Father, that you would just make us a people who truly love one another with the love of Christ himself. We ask this by your grace and for the honor of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So after Peter lays out for us here the attitude we ought to have of loving one another and the answer that we ought to have towards one another, he then gives us here the advantage of loving one another in verses 10 through 12. And this really completes the last thought of Peter's that he introduced at the very end of verse 9. If you recall, at the end of verse 9, Peter hints at an additional reason or motivation for why we ought to love one another beyond just the glory of God and the salvation of the lost. Peter says that you and I ought to have, a, an, have an attitude of, and an answer of love towards one another. Why? End of verse 9, he says, so that you may obtain a blessing. See, beyond just the glory of God and the salvation of the lost, there's actually a personal advantage and benefit to loving one another in Christ Jesus. And what is the first advantage and blessing that comes to those who love their brothers and sisters in Christ? who turn from evil and turn from reviling and who turn towards treating each other with the right attitude and answer of blessing and loving one another as God commands. What's the advantage to listening to God and obeying him in this way? Well, Peter says the first advantage to loving one another is a happy life. Verses 10 through 11. That's not my words. Those are Peter's here. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him turn his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So I want you to notice there, what is the desire that's mentioned there in verse 10 that should motivate us in leaving sin behind and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? What is the blessing that you and I should seek to obtain and have realized in our life and in our fellowship? Verse 10 makes it quite clear. It's loving life and seeing good days. If you didn't read it, you wouldn't believe it, right? In short, it's being happy. God is saying here that your aim, your desire, and your motivation in loving the brethren can actually include legitimately your own happiness. Isn't that surprising? You would expect something here about God's glory and worth since we know that God's person and pleasure is the ultimate purpose behind everything in life. And Peter's already talked about that at great length, right? But we don't see that here. What we actually see here is a motivation for loving our brothers and sisters of Christ is our own happiness. And if we're to be honest, that seems a bit wrong, doesn't it? Because happiness doesn't have anything to do with the Christian walk, right? I mean, God wants us to be holy, not happy, right? Wrong. What if I was to tell you this morning that God is, in fact, 
very interested in your happiness. In fact, more interested in your happiness than you are yourself. What if I was to tell you that his glory and your happiness are not mortal enemies of each other, but are in fact bosom friends? You know, we used to believe this as a Christian, even though you're probably shocked that I'm saying such words this morning. We need to recover the biblical doctrine of Christian happiness. George Whitfield put it in the 1700s, and I've got a lot of quotes for you this morning. <laughs> Is it not a purpose of Christianity to make men happy and to extend to every person the privilege in Christ to be as happy as he can? Or as the old Puritan Thomas Watson wrote in the 1600s, God has twisted together his glory and our good. He has no design upon us but to make us happy. How did we ever get from that to God wants you to be holy and not, and not happy? That is a false dichotomy, and it is biblically untrue. God wants you to be holy and happy. And in fact, the only way to happiness is holiness. We as humans were created by God to be happy, as the Westminster Catechism expressed it in the 1600s. In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? Answer, God made them holy and happy. Where did they lose their happiness? In the fall when they stopped listening to God and they turned from holiness to sin. After the fall, after the fall, we as humans began looking for happiness in all the wrong places. As C.S. Lewis wrote, all men seek happiness, but for the most part by wrong routes, like a drunken man who knows he has a house, but can't find his way back home. Nevertheless, we as humans were made to be happy, and we as Christians doubly so. We were made to love life and see good days and I'll even say one of the chief reasons why God saves a man is to restore to him the happiness found through holiness that was his before the fall. Think about it for a moment. The gospel that you and I all profess to believe and proclaim that our lives are to testify to is called the good news of great joy by the angel in Luke chapter 2 verse 10. And it's in fact called the good news of happiness in Isaiah 52 verse 7. See, what characterizes the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is a deep, everlasting joy and positive demeanor for anyone who will receive it. That's why it's called the good news of happiness. And this makes perfect sense because to be delivered from eternal damnation is to be delivered from eternal misery, and to be given eternal life is to be given eternal happiness. We can truly say my worst days as a believer are better than my best days as an unbeliever. As the the 1800s Baptist pastor Octavius Winslow wrote, the child of God is of necessity a joyful man. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. And his future is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness. With such a God, such a Savior, and such a hope, is he not 
ought he not to be a joyful man? The answer is yes. The salvation that we as sinners are given through faith in Jesus Christ is intended to make us happy. As Deuteronomy 33 verse 29 says, Happy are you, O Israel. Why? Why is Israel happy? For who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? Salvation brings happiness. As Psalms 46 verse 4 pictures, it is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. There's a joy to our happiness as Psalms 51 verse 12 states, and according to Jesus' parable in Matthew 13 44, once a man finds salvation for his sins through faith in Christ Jesus, in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Happiness is to know the Savior. It is to know your sins are forgiven. Salvation brings happiness. And that's why Joel 2.21 says, Be glad and rejoice. Why? Because the Lord has done great things. That is why wherever you see Christianity spread around the globe, you see singing go with it. Because Christ brings happiness. Because of our salvation, we who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we possess and we ought to pursue happiness. In fact, we're encouraged to do so. It is a blessing that we should seek to obtain. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It is the Christian duty for every believer to be as happy as he can. And that is what this passage is before us for. It's for this reason. So that as Jonathan Edwards stated, God would direct us in the true way to happiness and tell us what we must become in order to be blessed and happy. And what Peter tells us here is that in order for us to find the true way to happiness, we must become people who love one another. If we want to love life and if we want to see good days, even in the midst of hard circumstances, as, these, as First Peter was and David was in Psalms 34, then we must love one another. And Peter proves that here in verses 10 through 12 by directly quoting Psalms 34 verses 12 through 16 where the psalmist David who is undergoing intense persecution nevertheless writes these words. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, this is what you got to do. Let him turn his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, what we have here are three statements, three statements that all describe and picture the idea of repentance, of turning from sin to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So first, you have a negative statement here. He says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Don't do that, right? Followed by a transitional statement. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And then he finishes with a positive statement. Let him seek peace and pursue it. A turning here. So negative, transitional, positive. Peter is both describing and illustrating the need for ongoing repentance if one is to live a happy life. Summarized so well by that middle statement that I'll focus on. Let him turn away from evil and do good. See, in a very general sense, if you want to live a happy life, a life that is filled with loving life and seeing good days, a life that experiences those type of moments then you must make it a practice to repent, to turn from what God calls as evil and instead do good. 
And that word turn away from means more than just letting go of sinful actions. It means steering clear of sinful temptations, of putting a distance between them and you. And we all know what this looks like when I was trying to think of an illustration, right? It's like when the pandemic first hit, and we all thought that everyone's going to start dropping like flies. And if someone in the supermarket coughed, what would happen? You'd suddenly see all these shopping carts scatter to the four winds. Why is that? It's because they perceived a danger and they wanted to put as much distance between them and that danger as possible. And David in Psalms 34 tells us that this is exactly how we're supposed to act towards sin if we want to love life and see good days. We need to acknowledge that the wages of sin is death, that with sin is great danger. And we need to confess our sin to God. We need to ask for forgiveness. And we, want, and we need to put as much distance between it and us as possible. First, through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, which will separate the sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And second, by our practice, by saying, I want nothing to do with that which would have condemned me. You put as much distance between that between you and sin as possible. Any other action, any other approach towards sin will lead to misery. And all of you under the sound of my voice know exactly what I'm talking about. When you live your life contrary to what God has commanded you in Scripture, contrary to His righteousness, His wisdom, His way, it leads to misery. David knew this. Psalms 32 teaches this. When I kept silent, so when I tried to hold on to my sin, David says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, for many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. In other words, sin sabotages happiness. But, as verse 32 also says at the beginning, blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, Peter's not teaching anything new here in 1 Peter chapter 3. He's echoing David hundreds of years ago in the Psalms. If we as Christians want to experience the happiness that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ, then we need to turn away from evil and we need to start doing what is good, specifically in context regarding how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We need to turn away from evil, and instead we need to bless. We need to do good. We need to seek peace and pursue it. And if by God's grace we love our brothers and sisters in Christ in this way, in the way that God commands, then we are on the path to experiencing a happy life. And that is true, is it not? I don't know how much time you've spent around churches, but where there's bitterness and malice and unforgiveness among the body of Christ, everybody is miserable. But, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Psalms 133, verse 1. See, having an attitude and an answer of love towards one another has a personal advantage that's wrapped up even in God's glory and the salvation of the lost. (laughs) loving your brothers and sisters in Christ produces happiness. 
I'm not saying that showing that type of love that Peter's described here and experiencing that blessing is going to be easy. That's why Galatians 6, 9 tells us, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. See, the happiness must be fought for. It must be fought for in the battlegrounds of righteousness. And often, it must be fought for by God's grace on the battlefields of our own hearts in committing ourselves to loving one another just as God in Christ has loved us, even in the face of opposition and wrongs. When we do this, Peter says, you will obtain a blessing, an advantage. And that advantage is loving life and seeing good days. So that's the first advantage, the advantage of a happy life. And second, when we love the brotherhood with the love of Christ, we will experience the advantage of a heavenly communion. A heavenly communion. That's in verse 12, where Peter writes this, quoting David. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what? Evil. Where have we seen that word evil before? Oh, yeah, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil. So here, Peter is telling us something. The very definition of a happy life is a life that relishes in a deep communion with God who loves you so much in his son Christ Jesus that he can't take his eyes off of you. And notice, not only are his eyes on you, But when we are walking in Christian love, his ears are open to our prayers. Just like a mother hears the cry of her sick baby in the middle of the night, God's whole attention is fixed on us in love. Notice it's the mother, it's not the husband, I always sleep. And we experience here God's grace. We experience God's grace, we experience his provision, we experience his enabling power to underline the gospel with our lives. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, good luck being a Christ-like influence towards anyone while you're harboring evil resentment and bitterness in your heart against a brother or sister in Christ. Until you repent and begin loving your brother or sister again from the heart, until you start doing good to them and praying for them and pursuing peace with them until you turn away from evil and do good you will find yourself running against the lord and as the end of verse 7 already warned us your prayers will be hindered the face of the lord is against those who do evil but the lord makes his face shine upon those who heed his voice, who love the ones whom he loves, his ear is open to their prayer. They enjoy a heavenly communion with him. It's just like Jesus said in John chapter 14. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he says this in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. What word is that? Love your brothers, right? And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, when we obey Jesus and we love one another, we begin to experience and enjoy a deep heavenly communion with him. And might I even say among the body of Christ, that's where we enjoy it. 
We enjoy a deep and heavenly communion with God through his word, through prayer, and through godly Christian fellowship. Our walk with God is enriched deeply when we love one another as Christ has loved us. And by the way, a deep heavenly communion with God is the very definition of happiness. As Susanna, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, wrote, God is so infinitely blessed that every perception of his blissful present imparts a vital gladness of the heart. Every degree of approach towards him is in the same proportion a degree of happiness. Happiness, as the song says, is to know the Savior. It's to know that his eyes are ever on you and his ears are always open to your prayer. And nothing encourages you to know your Savior more than to be called to love just as he has loved you. And so if we're to glorify our God, point others to Jesus, and experience a true happiness in life, then we have got to have the right attitude and answer of loving one another. You cannot separate evangelism from your own personal life. We must have minds of humility, hearts of tenderness, and mouths of blessing towards those whom Christ loves. And if we do, we are extended this promise of a personal blessing, a blessing of holy happiness, of heavenly communion, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So, if this is something this morning that you recognize you do not have right now, that you're not loving life, and you're not seeing good days, in fact, to be among the congregation of the righteous is absolutely miserable for you, that you're not enjoying a close communion with God, but instead are just hounded by the hounds of heaven, and you're miserable. Could it be that there is some area of your life that you need to surrender to God right now? Some sin in your life that keeps on promising you pleasure but is lying to you every single day? A sin that you need to let go of and to flee from? Is there some relationship in your life that you need to abandon bitterness for blessing for? If God has convicted your heart in one of these ways, then I encourage you to confess that to the Lord in prayer right now, right where you're seated. And then beyond that, to seek some godly godly accountability for that after this service. Because Scripture stands. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This week, let's depend on the Lord together as a church family to make sure that we have an attitude and answer of love towards each other each and every moment so that by our love, we might glorify our God, we might point others to Jesus, and we might experience Blessed happiness together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is what we fight for. The glory of God, the advancement of the gospel, and our joint happiness together in Christ. For by this all people will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. This is the word of God from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12, through 12, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of one another until our King of love returns as King of all. To that end, as the men come forward this morning for communion, 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, we thank you that even as you have joined us to your Son, Christ Jesus, through faith, and we have become participants in his blessed eternal life, we thank you that you have not left that without description, but you have shown us what that eternal life in Christ looks like. It looks like a heart transformed, a mind transformed, a mouth transformed to show love towards those whom you love. Father, I pray that this week we would, Father, we would seek your glory and we would seek the salvation of the lost by loving one another so that we might even experience the blessed communion that comes in Christ Jesus as we follow your commands. Father, I pray that all people would know that we are Christ's followers when they see his own steadfast love being poured out through us as they see a community of love and joy produced by your Spirit. May we be such a community by your grace, by your power, by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.